I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom BNE 611 Bionic. I don't know what that's all about. Huh? What? I don't know what you're pointing at. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have to show you later. Okay. Um, well, it's good to be with you, BNE. Uh, that's my middle name. Please call me. Please refer to me in the third person, the royal we. Okay, <laughs> whatever. I I want you all to pray for Brother Tom Bionic. It looks like in the sun and heat's got to him a little bit or or some other moment of ecstasy. Uh, I don't see him exhibiting stigmata right now, but there may be something going on over there behind the microphone. <laughs> He's lost well, his marbles. Watch out, Pyro. Not enough, not enough chocolate in his diet. Well, aside, aside from spouting gibberish, uh, how how you doing this week, Brother uh, Tom? Hanging in there, you know. A lot of, always... It, I always like I tried to been I've tried to sort of like kind of lay low the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But it just, you know, you mean like like the two spies there in uh, Rahab's place. No. Sort of like okay. Not quite like that. More like just sort of a little sabbatical, but you know, yeah. much like good luck. Yeah. Much like uh, Michael Corleone. I was out, but they pulled me back yeah. in. <laughs> I just got a lot of stuff going on, yeah. you know, but it's cool. I know. I know. It's cool. It's all it's all for the Lord. Yeah. Ministry doesn't Lord. seem to take a break, does it? No. Nope. Be nice if I got paid for some of it. I know. You know. I don't know. Well, maybe some of our listeners will just send you a money tree or something. There that's, you go. That's what they used to make when I was growing up. <laughs> the in big church. Tom Bionic money bomb. Yeah, of course it might be one of those little bonsai trees, you know, a little yeah. small one or something. Yeah. But, um. So, uh, but that's it on on your front. Any other big? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just continuing to sort of, sort of think through that idea of like living from a place of sonship yeah. instead of living from a place of you know I don't know guilt and shame and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that I really think that there's a lot to that that hasn't been addressed yeah and so I've been I've been looking on that um, a if, lot of, if lo- you want to talk about that subject more on a future future quake even all or part of a show either one just let mm-hmm. me know okay the Lord I'm, that on your I'm, heart. I'm, I'm working on all of that stuff you know but yeah. It's it's interesting that that all of the all of the writers of the New Testament, uh, except Jude, say or allude to the fact that at some point, you know, um, you know, we're going to become, you know, sons of God or children of God. Mm-hmm. We are the children of God if we walk in the light and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So. It's a uh, it's interesting. But then you know. Jude quotes Enoch when he talks about the Lord coming back with this. This holy ones. Yeah, or possibly a menadopi. Huh? Uh, the, what it, about Opie? Yeah. <laughs> um, he quotes he he quotes possibly another another book another non canonized book called what? Um, I think it was a menadopi. Okay. Because I doubt Opie will be part of the group since he shot that bird out of the tree with the yeah. slingshot. If you remember that. Don't remember Killed that. It. Yeah, it's a, wasn't that Ron Howard? Yeah. A seminal moment. Meathead? And you know... Meathead's in the Bible? You know who was the first person to uh, film Ron Howard in the cinema? I, I could make a couple of bad guesses, but... The Ormond family. Oh, really? Yeah. 
We had Ron Howard as a baby in their movies. Wow. One of our recent Future Quake guests. I guess we should move on with our discussion here. If I can get some announcements out of the way. Um, I want to reiterate to people, if if you are interested in the DVDs of the talks from the Future Congress Conference, let me know. Drop an email to us. Let me know that they have bundled them into several different tracks. The two that I think would be of keenest interest to our audience, uh, one of them is called A Conspiracy Track, and there's 14 DVDs of 14 talks. Uh, you give one on false flag terrorism. Mm-hmm. I give one on who's really behind the Holy War coming up, mm-hmm. uh, and 12 others. And I think I think they retail 39.95 for 14 mm-hmm. DVDs. And the other one's 11 DVDs. It's a supernatural one. Mm-hmm. It includes your talk on sleep paralysis. includes mine on... Um, uh, sorcery, the rise of sorcery in the last days, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff from people we know. So let us know, and um, unless we get a big contact, where I'm going to order a few of them because it's a big capital outlay to mm-hmm. buy them. So, but we need to know soon. So appreciate this week if y'all could email me and let me know. Uh, just a quick announcement: I want to thank the people who supported our ministry this week. Um, some people went online to our website and ordered um, either. Uh, uh, Pandemonium's Engine, mm-hmm. or The Most Frightening Issues You'll Face a Century. I've written mm-hmm. a chapter in both those. I want to thank uh, uh, Gary in Florida, who ordered uh, both of those. Uh, Chris in Pennsylvania ordered a Pandemonium, as well as Dave in, I believe, Kansas. Um, and also uh, Doug in Illinois ordered both, and a couple of Pandemoniums from Rainy in California. I want to thank you all for that. Sweet. And uh, Do we have any donations? Uh, Chris. Chris in Pennsylvania yeah. made a donation. Sweet, we, we don't have to get the don't have to get the the saxophone out and and play. No, no, thank goodness. The Lord might not call us home this week since <laughs> we got that. And um, uh, Bonnie, I want to thank you too for ordering the two book set of Lies the Government Told You by Judge Napolitano and um, the New World Order Eugenics Wars by uh, our good friend Andrew Hoffman. Uh, she's in Idaho and ordered one of those two book sets. Where just the potatoes the last grow, where the potatoes grow. Idaho, 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 where the potatoes grow. Was that a commercial of theirs? Or no, was that a was song a, that was written? It was a spoof song. Okay. that You did that in a classic high lonesome style, and I, I'm impressed yeah. with how you well, did that. Well, that's pretty much the only way that I can, that's the only way I roll. Well, ladies, I, gentlemen, I'd like you to also email Tom Bionic. I've been trying to encourage him to have he and I record some music together, duet, mm-hmm. uh, Future Boy themes, and he he looks unthrilled with that. I'm, I'm thinking he sees me as like an anchor or something. Or no, I just don't play music. And uh, so anyway, let him know get if you get somebody get somebody with talent. I'm thinking you see me sort of like uh, Naomi Judd or you know one of these hangers ons, you know. Uh, I don't know what is another example of of, of uh, duets like that where one of them just sort of you know I'm like the guy with the tambourine that plays while everybody else is playing the instrument you know. But enough of that. Let's get on to our stories. Oh, one other thing. I want to thank our Futurian Bob out there. He was so nice. He he made a trip with his wife to uh, Charleston, which is Charleston, a pretty spooky. Charleston. Sorry. You have a song for Like all the Russian scientists we have this week, you're going to do a song for them too? Yeah. Okay. Um, Charleston's, you know, a pretty spooky place. That's where uh, Malachi Martin said they did that uh, 
what what was it like a Sabbath for Satan or something like that at the same time it was in the Vatican in the Masonic Lodge in Charleston. You know what I'm talking about? What? 1961, I believe. Mm. Anyways, Charleston. Pretty pretty spooky place. I anyway, guess so. He was there and picked up something wonderful. I saw this nice green tin, uh, and it has something called absinthe candies. Oh, you did show me those. Yeah, and uh, these wonderful hands. I don't and, remember taking them. No, I would not have the guts yet to take any. It just says it has, is it is it anise, A-N-I-S-E? Anise. Anise, I don't know. You're the cook. I just figured you'd know. But it's sort of a licorice flavor, isn't it? Isn't that what? But it's, huh? it is a flavor that comes out of absinthe from what I've read. So I think that's how they make the claim. But anyway, uh, you ought to look them up. They're uh, uh, accoutrements, LLC, accoutrements.com. But absinthe candy. So mm-hmm. it has like the green uh, the green goddess on the front, if you've seen my mm-hmm. talk on sorcery. So thanks. And I also want to say thanks to Adam Niemeyer who came. Visit us. Yeah, him and, his, him and his uh, brother. bro. Was it his brother? Brother. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I want to thank you all for coming. Visited us at our uh, uh, shack where we worship, Calvary Chapel River Gate. The, it was there yeah, Sunday. I, don't, I haven't read the shack. I was just being figurative there. Oh. But uh, anyway, so glad to have you all visit. We have mm-hmm. a lot of Futurians now that are starting to take over that place. We're... We're creeping starting up to there. Starting to be, uh, getting to be kind of a... It's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers there. Um, and we enjoy... And any other Futurians uh, that are in Middle Tennessee, either permanently or passing through, come see us on Sunday or Wednesday night. We'd be glad to be with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got a story for us, bro? Why don't you go first, man? Are you sure? Yeah. I was doing a lot of rattling on there. Uh, well, this is something that's in the news. But this particular story just came up. I just saw it today, mm-hmm. but it's it's on something that's been in the news, and this is from that conspiracy rag, that dubious conspiracy rag called the Christian Science Monitor. Yeah, I think you've heard of it. I've always there. That's an interesting, an interesting news source. I've always like the yeah, Christian yeah. Science Monitor. Yeah, you know they do they do good reporting, but it was it was started because pretty well respected. Yeah, Mary Baker Eddy, I believe was the lady. Yeah, I assume that's a connection. She got mad because they were they were running her over in the mainstream media, Mm. so she started her own newspaper. Maybe that's why Reverend Moon bought the Washington Times. I'm sure that's why. Same thing. Yep. Well, this story says uh, used car salesman as a Ron proxy. Why assassination plot doesn't add up for experts. Hmm. Now that's something when you got the Christian Science Monitor coming out and saying this. Mm -hmm. That's what caught my eye. It says the U.S. has blamed the specialist Quds, or QODS force, mm-hmm. in an Iran assassination plot. But those who track the group say the plot does not reflect the careful planning, efficiency, and strategy the Quds force is known for. How careful is Iran's Quds force when it comes to covert operations abroad? This wing of the Revolutionary Guard was accused by U.S. military commanders in Iraq in 2008, 7 and 8, of jeopardizing the efforts of more than 150,000 American troops on the ground, of backing militias of all stripes, and of exercising strong influence on Baghdad's rulers. Yet how many Iranian Quds force operatives did that take? One U.S. diplomat posted to Baghdad at the time had the consensus answer. There are just about eight Quds force men in all of Iraq. So that's how they get their job done with eight. Those okay. are they like, like you know, John Rambo would be like, "Dang, I go in yeah. there." Yeah, and uh, 
It says, indeed, the Coots Forest has a reputation for careful, methodical work, as well as effective use of local proxies, and ultimately their pragmatic deployment by Tehran as covert tools to expand Iran's influence across a region in flux. That explains why Iran's experts are raising questions about fresh U.S. charges of an Iran-backed bomb plot, this time to kill the Saudi ambassador to Washington and to blow up the Saudi and Israeli embassies. A criminal complaint filed by U.S. prosecutors on Tuesday charged Mansour Arbabsiar, a naturalized U.S. citizen with an Iranian passport from Corpus Christi, Texas, and Golam Sakuri, an Iran-based member of Iran's Quds Force, with plotting to kill the Saudi diplomat on U.S. soil in an operation directed by factions of the Iranian government. Now, those who know Iran well are skeptical, but do not rule out any possibility. Mr. Absiar may have arranged for $100,000 to be transferred from Iran as a down payment of $1.5 million for the hit, as U.S. charges indicate. Our Babsiar may have also boasted to one alleged accomplice in the plot, an associate of Mexico's Zeta drug cartel, who also happened to be an informant of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. You know, one thing that occurred to me is that uh, it doesn't make any sense for Iran to hit the Saudi Arabian ambassador mm-hmm. uh, to America because Iran has its own Saudi Arabian ambassador that lives in Tehran in mm-hmm. the, the Saudi Arabian embassy. Mm-hmm. So why fly halfway around the world to a country and sneak in uh, to hit this guy when you can just mm-hmm. you could get in your car, drive down the road about 20 minutes? Well, there's nothing to accomplish in doing either one of them. Yeah. How's that going to further Iran's aims? Yep. That's the big question. How, how does this make any kind of logical way this would accomplish something to advance their mm-hmm. interest? It goes, you know, one of the classic things, you know, you look for in, in uh, um, you know, false flag terrorism is you see a grassroots force uh, sort of coming from nothing to do this highly complex operation. Or you see, you know, uh, uh, a super special force doing like a very basic stupid blunder, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is the other thing that's very classic uh, is you see that the action that they take would have taken should the operation went forward doesn't benefit them in any way, but yeah. it sure benefits their their enemy. Right. Right. And so. Right. You know. Yeah, I and mean, it certainly it, seems, it would benefit it Saudi Arabia and Israel because then it would give justification for them to attack, which is what they want to do. Yeah. But it doesn't do anything for Iran uh, itself. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, it also says that he was bragging that his cousin was a big general in the Iranian army. I used to have work with a guy who always told girls in a bar that he was a, uh, what did he say he was? Like a Bolivian chopper pilot or Italian chopper pilot. Wow. So, bragging about something and being true are two different things, the point I'm making. Hmm. He says, while also describing a series of potential attacks to the associate, he may have even stated, apparently in secret tape conversations, that mass American casualties as a result were not a problem. They want that guy, the ambassador, done, killed. And she just says, done. If the hundred go with it, blank them, reads the official legal complaint. Sweet. Now, why the plot doesn't add up? But Iran specialists who have followed the Islamic Republic for years say that many details in the alleged plot just don't add up. It's a very strange case. It really doesn't fit Iran's mode of operation, says Alarizian Nadir, an Iran analyst at the Rand Corporation in Arlington. 
and co-author of studies about the Revolutionary Guard. He says, when you look at the Iranian use of terrorism, it has some very specific objectives, whether it's countering the U.S. in Iraq and Afghanistan or retaliating against perceived Israeli actions, says Mr. Nadir. This plot does not seem to serve Iran's interest in any conceivable way, says Nadir. I'm glad the expert and me are on the same page. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. obviously. Well, he probably read your mind. I intimidated him, yeah. yeah. Assassinating the Saudi ambassador would increase international pressure against Iran could be considered an act of war by Saudi Arabia. It could really destabilize the government in Iran. And this is a political system that is interested in its own survival. Iran has been trying to evade sanctions, strengthen relations with non-Western partners, while continuing with its nuclear program, notes Nadir. He said it's difficult to believe that either Qasem Soleimani, the canny commander of the Quds Force, or Iran's deliberative supreme religious leader, Ayatollah Saeed Khamenei, would order such an attack that would not put all of Iran's objectives and strategies at risk. That yeah, be, uh, yeah, exactly. That view has been echoed by many Iran watchers who are raising doubts about the assassination plot allegations. Mm-hmm. This plot, if true, departs from all known Iranian policies and procedures, writes Gary Sick, an Iranian expert at Columbia University and principal White House aide during the 79 Iran Revolution and hostage crisis. While Iran may have many reasons to be angry at the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, Mr. Sick notes in a posting uh, on a Gulf 2000 Columbia experts list that he moderates, it is difficult to believe that they would rely on a non-Islamic criminal gang to carry out this most sensitive of all possible missions. Relying on at least one amateur and a Mexican criminal drug gang that is known to be riddled with both Mexicans and U.S. intelligence agents. Interesting. Mm. appears to be sloppy, adds Sick. Whoever else may be Iran's failings, whatever else, they are not noted for utter disregard of the most basic intelligence tradecraft. Mm. Here's a new story on my little ticker that I have. Uh, it's from the Telegraph. U.S. forces massing on, on Afghanistan-Pakistan border. Hmm. Just coming up? Yeah, just just was posted about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. They figured they are going to get all of them that why not just uh, Syria and yeah. Iran? Might as well get Pakistan from the other direction. Yeah. See, I guess if they went through Pakistan, then that's another corridor into Iran, right? Pakistan stands in between. Isn't that right? No, Iran and no. Pakistan share a border, don't they? No, no. Afghanistan. Oh, Afghanistan in the does. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. They okay. I'm, I have to go back and look at my uh, see if they also have a shared one too. I know Afghanistan and Iran does. So, like Emily Latelli used to say, never mind. <laughs> uh, so it says, uh, the odd set of details means that the usual cost-benefit calculation that experts often attribute to Tehran's decision-making does not apply here, says Mohammed Sahimi in an analysis for the Tehran Bureau website. At a time when pressure is building on Iran over gross human rights violations, sanctions are showing signs of working. Iran is deeply worried about the fate of its strategic partner in Syria. Tensions with Turkey are increasing. And a fierce power struggle is underway within Iran, says Mr. Sahimi. It is essentially impossible to believe that the IRA, or Islamic Republic of Iran, would act in such a way as to open a major new front against itself. Yeah, why? It's like, why, why, did, why would the communists and Jews want to burn up the Reichstag building? You know, Because they hated II. our freedom? Once, yeah, <laughs> hated German freedom that, that Hitler preserved. Yeah. Um, 
It says, Sami also notes that even in the height of the regime's assassinations of opponents in the past, it did not target non-Iranians. It is keenly aware that it is under the American microscope, says Sahimi, making even less likely Iran embarking on such a useless assassination involving a low-level, non-player individual. Such reservations are not the same ones given by Iranian officials when they dismiss the charges of a murder plot, but analysts suggest more information will need to be revealed before judgment can be made. Iran does have a history of terrorism, but they also like to go through proxies, and true and tested proxies, not necessarily just anybody, says Nadir of Rand, citing his Hezbollah in Lebanon, for example, or the Iraqi Shiite insurgents trained in Iranian camps. The man arrested by U.S. law enforcement at JFK on September 29th does not even seem to fit the mold. Our Babsiar, a former used car salesman, would appear to have been a surprise choice for the Kutz force, yet he apparently traveled several times to Mexico to recruit drug cartel hitmen, had $100,000 from Iran paid into a U.S. account, and promised much more, and discussed the plot on a normal telephone. Now, he says he got it from Iran. That's mm. what he understands he got it from. Mm-hmm. The Iranian modus operandi is only to trust sensitive plots to their own employees or to trusted proxies such as Hezbollah, Saudi Hezbollah, Hamas, or the Saudi faction in Iraq, or Iran-friendly extremist Muslims in Afghanistan and other pro-Iranian Muslim groups, wrote Kenneth Katzman of the Congressional Research Service on Gulf 2000. Are we to believe that this Texas car seller was a Kud's sleeper agent for many years resident in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Ridiculous, said Mr. Katzman, who authored a study of the Revolutionary Guard in the 1990s. They, the Iranian command system, never ever use such has-beens or loosely connected people for sensitive plots such as this. And what kind of man is he? The Associated Press spoke to Absiar's friend and former Texas business partner, David Tomska, who said he was sort of a hustler. The Iranian-American, the AP reported, was likable, albeit a bit lazy. lazy. Uh, he's no mastermind, Mr. Thompson told the AP. I can't imagine him thinking of a plan like this. I mean, he didn't seem at all that political. He was more of a businessman. Hmm. So, sorry for the long story there. No, but. it was good, man. I got to... But that's that's from... I mean, you got a major news you know, outlet here mm-hmm. not buying it. So, I just wonder if that will continue or people will forget. Sweep it under the rug. Yep. Nine one one sort of gave the indication that people were quickly a- able to forget stuff quickly. What? <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, man. Give us a story. This one is from AcklandAssociates.com or AcklandAssociates.com. It's okay. a web, it's a you know uh, lawyers uh, in Louisiana. Yeah. It's a little post they put on their their blog. It's by Thad D. Ackland, Jr., Esquire, mm-hmm. the lawyer. This summer, the state legislature and governor of Louisiana passed a law that bans individuals and businesses from transacting in cash if they are considered a, quote, second-hand dealer, unquote. House Bill 195 of the 2011 regular session broadly defines a second-hand dealer to include anyone other than a nonprofit entity who buys, sells, trades, in or otherwise acquires or disposes of junk or used or secondhand property more frequently than once per month for any from any other person. So if you buy two things in one month in in cash uh in Louisiana, it's illegal. Uh 
shall be deemed. That's not restricting freedom, is it? I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm saying you can't buy or sell. Uh, a couple months ago, we covered how like the Supreme Court in Idaho doesn't really respect the Fifth Amendment; doesn't believe mm-hmm. it exists. Uh, anyway. Continuing, shall be deemed as being in the business of a secondhand dealer. The law then states that a secondhand dealer shall not enter into any cash transactions in payment for the purchase of junk or used or secondhand property. Payment shall be made in the form of check, electronic transfers, or money order issued by the seller of the junk or used or secondhand property. The broad scope of this definition can essentially encompass everyone from your local flea market vendors and buyers to a housewife purchasing goods on eBay or Craigslist to a group of guys trading baseball cards, they could all be considered second-hand dealers. Lawmakers in Louisiana have effectively banned its citizens from freely using United States legal tender. Um, What's their motive? It doesn't say. Uh, uh, the law goes further to require second-hand dealers to turn, to turn over valuable business assets namely their business property proprietary client information. Wow. For every transaction, the second-hand dealer must obtain the seller's personal information, such as their name, address, driver's license number, and the license plate number of the vehicle in which the goods were delivered. They must also make a detailed description of the items purchased and submit this with the personal identification information of every transaction to the local policing authorities through electronic daily reports. If a seller cannot or refuses to produce the second-hand dealer to the second-hand dealer any of the required forms of identification, the second-hand dealer is prohibited from completing the transaction. This legislation amounts to a public taking of private property without due process or compensation. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether or not the transaction information is connected with or law enforcement is investigating a crime, individuals and businesses are forced to report routine business activity to the police. Can law enforcement not accomplish its goal of identifying potential thieves and locating stolen items in a far less intrusive manner? And, of course, there are already laws that prohibit stealing, buying, or selling stolen goods, uh, laws that require businesses to account for transactions, and laws that penalize individuals and businesses that transact in a stolen property. Why does Louisiana State Legislature need to enact more laws infringing on personal privacy, liberties, and freedom? Um, so. That's a rhetorical question. Yep. Uh, here they, they give a motivation. Motivating the introduction of this legislation was an increase in criminal activity, necessitating law enforcement to develop additional tools in tracking potential client criminals. Thefts of copper and other precious metals have re- risen recently with higher commodity prices and mounting pressures from the economic downturn. The added restrictions under this recent legislation have come about under the pretense of cracking down on crime and helping the government take care of you, all at the cost of your individual privacy, economic, civil liberty, and freedom. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, although pawn shops are still required to obtain clients' personal information and transmit their client database information to law enforcement, they are exempt from the restriction of cash payments. A jeweler next That's door. That's what I was thinking. Pawn shop was my first thought. Yeah, a jeweler next door to a pawn shop cannot offer clients the same payment method offered by its competing pawn shop neighbor. 
So it's Big Pawn behind this. Could be. Who knows? Mm. Uh, Act 389 passed by unanimous consent of the Louisiana House of Representatives and only mustered one nay vote from the state Senate. The governor signed the legislation into law on July 1st, 2011. How wonderful a lot of those guys who voted even thought through what the ramifications. Yeah. I, I doubt a lot of them. Unless they got a check, you know. Um, getting a check. Poor, you know, I hate to, I don't want to offend our Louisiana listeners, but, and I speak this coming from Kentucky, which was known for incredibly corrupt state government. But Louisiana was always like in a class by themselves as far yeah. as, uh, People getting checks. Kentucky and was totally, and yeah. Kentucky was totally corrupt, but they could always say, at least we're not Louisiana. Yeah, I mean they're they're both inexcusable, and and I know they're not. They don't have a yeah, you know, unique unique racket on it either. But anyway, wow. Well, I guess that'll be coming our way. There you you know, this whole thing about not buying or selling that might be so incremental. It's not you know we always pictured in the movies like oh all of a sudden one day you find out you can't buy or sell that mark. It looks like it's already like halfway there. Unless the government says you can do it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I've got a sh- I've got a little short story here. Hit us. This uh, uh, New York Times. No wait, excuse me. Um, well, I'm, I cut off where I got this from, but it involves New York Times. Um, New York Times sues federal government for refusing to reveal its secret interpretation of the Patriot Act. Oh, man, yeah. I had um, that one, too. That's a that's an interesting article, isn't it? Yeah, this is just a little brief thing. We've been covering for a while how Senators Ron Wyden and Mark Udall have been very concerned over the secret interpretation the feds have of one piece of the Patriot Act. They've been trying to pressure the government into publicly explaining how they interpret the law because they believe that it directly contrasts how most of the public and many elected officials believe the feds are interpreting the law. While the two senators continue to put pressure on the feds, you know, it's bad when senators can't get answers. Mm-hmm. And That's to, what I was thinking when I was reading yeah, that. And to hint at the, at the feds' interpretation, just the fact that the government won't even explain its own interpretation of the law seems ridiculous. Given all of this, reporters Charlie Savage of the New York Times filed a Freedom of Information Act request to find out the federal government's interpretation of its own law. And had it refused. According to the federal government, its own interpretation of the law is classified. What? <laughs> interpreting you know, how to enforce the law. You know what I was thinking? What? We should go out and, or, well, somebody with some money, which excludes me, uh, should go out and should go out and totally commit some federal crimes where you get, like, penalized, you know, monetarily, and they yeah. can afford it. They're recording this on the yeah. thing. Yeah. And then, and then, um, Nobody should actually do this. I'm just saying it would be kind of a goofy, yeah, yeah. hypothetical. Um, that, and and then when they go to court, they should say, actually, it's not illegal. Just check the interpretation mm-hmm. of the of the Patriot Act to smoke it out. To yeah, s- to smoke out the yeah. interpretation and say, look, you can't tell me it's not illegal. I'm telling you, it's it's covered in the Patriot Act, in the secret interpretation of the Patriot mm-hmm. Act. And they'll be like, well, you know, it's not. Like, you can't tell me it's not. Mm-hmm. This pay, the, it's secret, and I know that it's right, mm-hmm. and that is more than enough reasonable doubt. So mm-hmm. I'll be seeing you guys. That makes complete sense, except that you know they've they've had guys who were terrorist uh, candidates uh-huh. and suspected them. They say, look, there is information that the government has that exonerates me. That would completely exonerate me, 
if you you know if you pull this out and the government will say that information is classified and so a guilty person stands and they do not get their effective day in court because of that hmm. that's that's how terrible it is now why would these supposed enemies want to take away our freedoms if if these freedoms are pretty dubious already Solzhenitsyn is probably Solzhenitsyn is probably yeah. slapping his forehead yeah ample forehead there yeah i i think he's no longer with us is he no he's 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 gone he yeah. left he left the room last year hopefully we'll before. see him uh it says uh um what what sort of democracy are living in when the government can refuse to even say how it's interpreting its own law that's not democracy at all julian sanchez points out points us to the news that savage and the new york times have now sued the federal government for not revealing its interpretation of the Patriot Act, pointing out that if parts of the interpretation contain classified material, the Justice Department should just black that out and reveal the rest. But simply refusing to reveal the interpretation entirely is a violation of the Freedom of Information Act. You can bet that the feds will do everything they can to get out of this lawsuit, just as they did with the various lawsuits concerning warrantless wiretapping, and here's hoping the court systems don't let them. No matter what you think of this administration or the last one and how it's handling the threat of terrorism, I'm curious how anyone can make the argument that the U.S. government should not reveal how it interprets the very laws under which it's required to operate. And us mm-hmm. required to operate. And you don't hear this stuff, you know, except one or two candidates. You won't hear anybody else debate that in the debate, this kind of activity. Nope. It's not me. It's not affecting me. It affects those scary people. Heaven forbid it would ever come in my back door and impact me. Yeah. Unless they Ridiculous. just decide something they don't like Ridiculous. to do. Ridiculous. Okay, that was just a little quick story. You got a story for me? Yeah. I, uh, so I, I'm going to change the vector here just a little bit. Okay. That's good because um, I'll, I'll redirect the vector yet again when it comes back. Sweetness. So we'll be yep. doing outer darkness here. Before long. <laughs> New Mexico cops as military responsible for me- for cattle mutilations. Interesting. Yeah, this is from the Huffington Post. This too. is pretty quaky. Sort of a yeah. You know, I won't say newspaper of record, but a well known a well known yeah. rag at least. Yeah. Um, Gabe Valdez was a former New Mexico State Patrol officer in Dulce, New Mexico area. During his tenure, beginning in the 1970s, he was tasked with investigating mysterious cattle mutilations. The area suffered many cases of cattle found mutilated without blood organs Mm -hmm. uh, that appeared carefully removed and cuts in the skin that were so precise they were believed to be made by lasers. Is that the place by the Four Corners area? Uh, You know, I do not know. Where they had the underground base, supposedly. I do know they had a UFO event there at at, at that town. Yeah. It could be. Uh, After years of research, Valdez concluded that a clandestine government agency was responsible and that they used used secret underground bases in the Dulce area for their experiments. There you have it. I have investigated a cattle mutilation case myself just down the road from Dulce over the Colorado border outside the town of Trinidad. Like many other cases, a cow was found with the udder missing, patches of skin removed, the anal cord out, genitals removed, and part of the tongue missing. The animal was found at the bottom of a wash, and unlike a typical predator kill, there was no indication of a struggle or massive blood loss. The rancher had been raising cattle his whole life and had seen many animal deaths, 
but could not explain why this animal had died. In fact, because he had a UFO sighting just days before, he suspected that the culprits could be extraterrestrial. The first publicized case of a strange cattle mutilation was outside Alamosa, Colorado, in 1967, only a hundred miles or so northeast of Dulce. An Appaloosa horse was found with the head and neck skinned and defleshed. Bones were white and clean, and there was a lack of blood in the area. The lacerations were cauterized as if a laser scalpel were used according to a pathologist out of Denver. No satisfactory explanation has ever been found as to why this animal was killed. Since then, hundreds of cattle mutilations have been discovered. The ranch with the largest number of mysterious animal death belongs to the Gomez family near Dulce, the area Valdez was assigned to. Unlike the rancher I spoke with, Valdez told me he, that he had never seen anything that had led him to believe that there were extraterrestrials in New Mexico. Instead, he said he had found military gear such as gas masks and glow sticks and out around the carcasses of mutilated cattle. Mm. Valdez, also, Valdez also says that UFOs seen in the area were actually advanced military craft, some of which were involved with the picking up of these animals to conduct experiments on them and then returning them without being seen. He says the animals were returned mutilated in order to make locals believe it was done by extraterrestrials. As for the identity and motives what of this, the perp- yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. As for the motive and identity of the secret military group, Valdez so- says said those topics were too sensitive to discuss. Valdez is not the first to suggest there is a secret underground base near Dulce. In fact, the legend in UFO circles is that there is not only only a secret underground base. But it is a joint U.S. military and alien facility. These rumors began with two gentlemen whom Valdez befriended, Paul Benowitz and Richard Doty. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, Benowitz owned a technology company outside the gates of Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In 1930, he reported to the USAF he was filming strange lights over the base and tuning in signals that he thought might be an ET, might be ET in nature. Instead of informing Benowitz that he was observing secret military projects, Air Force Intelligence Officer Richard Doty was assigned, allegedly assigned to encourage Benowitz's ET beliefs and perpetuate them with fabricated evidence. <laughs> That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Going so far as to convince Benowitz there was a secret ET in U.S. military base under the uh, Archuleta Mesa, which looms over the town of Dulce, New Mexico. One may wonder why the USAF would want to make such, up such stories. Research, researcher and author Greg Bishop wrote about Doty, Benowitz, and Valdez in his project book, Project Beta. In it, he makes the case that the purpose of the deception was Cold War counterintelligence. It's pretty weak. Should the wit- Russians wish to question Benowitz about his findings, they would be given a wild story and dismiss the entire affair. Others have suggested that perhaps Doty was rogue and feeding lies to Benowitz for his own personal entertainment. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that one. <laughs> Valdez, Valdez believes that Doty was under orders to lie to Benowitz in order to cover up the military, U.S. military secrets he felt were too sensitive to speak of. <laughs> Through all of this, Valdez remains friends with the two men, eventually helping Doty secure a job as a policeman in New Mexico. Valdez passed away on August 6, 2011, in his sleep at his home in Albuquerque, less than a week after my first and last interview with him. 
Valdez has a kind of di- had a kind of disposition and dry sen- sense of humor. Being a product of the Southwest myself, his demeanor felt familiar. Even thinking about him, um, about him now reminds me of sitting back looking over deserts, mesas, and mountains covered in pinyon trees, uh, enjoying a sunset and conversation that slowly evolves at a pace near that of the sun as it creeps along, making its spectacular mm-hmm. exit over the horizon and long walks on the beach. Thank you for that poetic ending to that yeah. story. I wish Mr. Valdez a safe journey, and my heart goes out to his family members, whom I am sure sorely miss him. Ta-da. What uh, what motive would the government have? Have you ever heard a plausible story on picking up animals? Well, um, I tend to see, it's interesting, I tend to see that uh, uh, they do tend to sort of be, the government does sort of seem to be sort of involved with a lot of this stuff, you know. But as to the actual motive, that's the big question. They they seem to be spending an awful, if the government is involved, they're spending an awful lot of time trying to convince us that they're a little green man out there. Right. And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of creatures to pick up, it looked like we had one in our studio, didn't it? Yeah. And Pyro. Scraping uh, at the door here. Yeah, Pyro's, I guess he heard you telling that story. Yeah. Um. I've got another vector to go, if you're interested. Yep. Um, this is uh, Right Wing Watch uh, saying, Well, no, says, don't say dominionism, at least not in front of the media. Um, Ever since the New Apostolic Reformation had its political coming out party at Rick Perry's recent The Response Prayer Rally, there's been a lot of investigation and discussion of the movement and the brand of dominion theology that it promotes. So much so, in fact, that NAR-affiliated leaders have suddenly began trying to downplay all their talk of taking dominion. Oz Hillman, the man behind the Reclaiming the Seven Mountain website, has recently suggested that activists should stop using the word dominion and instead use the word influence. Okay, because you don't want to play your cards. You don't want to play your cards too of yep. because you know as Christians deception you know that's a key part of our activity because dominion make the secular media think that Christians want to rule the world. Mm-hmm. Now, to give credit, some of these people may think that yeah that they really don't want to and they're mis they're misapplying it. So I don't know where some of these people fall whether they're purposely trying to deceive their plans or if they think they're just really being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. This is on his website, Hillman Post Pieces, written by Johnny and Lowe, author of The Seven Mountain Prophecy, which asserts that the goal of Christians ought to be to establish a virtual theocracy in which government leaders will also be religious leaders so that they can present, quote, the nations of the world to the Lord as his possession, unquote, and bring about the return of Christ. On Hillman Seven Mountains' website, Enlow says that the best way for Christians to accomplish this goal is through stealth. And stealth's always a recommended thing for Christians, I think. That's the way mm-hmm. Jesus worked. The goal is not just to have Christians in high places. This is them talking. But rather to have Christians who are called to be in high places step into that role. And wearing a Christian label on our sleeve isn't the point. We need to learn to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves and to realize that stealth authority and influence are much preferred over overt authority and influence. And low profile diffuses resistance from the opposition. 
Man, this is like a bad movie. Well, that's their strategy. Okay, he wants to diffuse resistance of opposition. So, you do this stealthily, sort of like being a Haman instead of, you know, the king of Persia, you know. Yeah. You get with your other consorts and do stuff. Hillman's website also sells the works of Lance Wallnau, one of the leading Seven Mountains proponents, whose work has been central to the mission to, quote, do whatever is necessary, unquote, to claim dominion. Last week, we discovered a video featuring Hillman, Enlow and while now discussing the attention that Seven Mountains and Dominionism have received, uh, during which while now suggested that using language about quote taking over is fine to use when quote preaching to the choir, but that such language shouldn't be used in situations where the media or secular audiences are present. So, kind of creating sort of a counter espionage, kind of a counterintelligence. Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, they have a video where it actually watches on a video saying the same thing, but here, here's a transcript of it. Walnall says, part of my problem is that people will take my message, link their own interpretation to it, and go out and talk about taking down high places, coming against the devil. I am very particular where I use that language because you don't want to startle the horses out of the barn. If you're talking to a secular audience, you don't talk about having dominion over them. I mean, my gosh, that's what they're afraid of. That's what the left is saying the right wants to do. And the right is saying the left wants to do. So the anxiety is based on misinformation. That What I've said today is that I want to find out who's anointed with the right ideas and I want to serve them. To be a Joseph, you're going to shape Pharaoh. The whole idea of taking over and that language of takeover, it doesn't actually help. It's good for preaching to the choir and it's shorthand if we interpret it right. But it's very bad for media. But they are very clear about this. And this goes back to Rick Joyner and a lot of early teaching. Mm-hmm. What they want, they don't want somebody necessarily in just an administration position that has their term or two and goes on. They want the insider behind the scenes. And they always use Daniel as an example or Joseph, where they're the guys who don't leave, like the, the key staffers, almost sort of like how you picture uh, Kissinger. Who administrations mm-hmm. come and go, presidents come He's and go, still there. but they're the ones within, and that's the positions they have gone on the record and said they want. Hmm. So that sucks. You know, you can't, you know, to be a good Christian, you can't always let people know specifically what you want to do. You know, you gotta gotta be throwing a head fake every now and again. Gotta use some, you know, world worldly worldly ideas there. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a story for us, bro. Sure. Here's a here's a little quick one for us. It's from mm-hmm. Wired magazine. The Pentagon hopes to sniff out who has fallen prey to dangerous ideas. You know what? This was a story I also looked at too. You and I are on the same page on this. Uh, one. We got to we got to bring in another a third person that kind of. Well, no, it's up. I'm it out. glad. Mark Twain once tried to distinguish between the storyteller's art and tales that a machine could generate. He observed that stringing incongruities and absurdities together in a wandering and sometimes purposeless way, and seem and seem innocently unaware uh, that they are absurdities, was the province of the American storyteller. A machine might imitate simple formulas behind yarns, but never quite master them. The Pentagon's freewheeling research arm is hoping to prove Twain wrong. DARPA is asking scientists to take narratives and make them quantitatively analyzable in a rigorous, transparent, and repeatable fashion. The idea is to detect terrorists who have been indoctrinated by propaganda. 
Then, the Pentagon can respond with some messages of its own. The program is called Narrative Networks. By understanding how stories have shaped our mind, the Pentagon hopes to sniff out who has fallen prey to dangerous ideas, a neuroscience researcher involved in the project tells Danger Room. With this knowledge, the military can also target groups vulnerable to terrorist recruiting tactics with its own counter-messaging. Stories are important in security contexts, DARPA said in its October 7th solicitation for research proposals. Stories change the course of insurgencies, frame negotiations, play a role in political radicalization, influence the methods and goals of a, of a violent social movement. The desire to study narratives has been simmering for a while in the Defense Department. A DARPA workshop in April to, to discuss the neurobiology of narrative added momentum to this project. In the first 18-month phase of the program, the Pentagon wants researchers to study how stories infiltrate social networks and alter our brain circuits. One of the stipulated research goals to explore the function narrative serve uh, in the process of political radicalization and how they can influence a person or group's choice of means, such as indiscriminate violence, to achieve political ends. Sweet. This is mind control, is what it. Yeah, it's uh, it's using using a computer to try and, you know, make really good lies. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want to be magicians or experts in the science of lies to take it to a whole new level to merge science with deception in a mm-hmm. way to come up with somehow mathematically or scientifically the best lies, mm-hmm. the best kind of mythology that you can implant in anybody they deem an enemy. Yeah. U.S. troops, here's another one I saw on Wired. U.S. troops will soon get tiny kamikaze drones. Mm-hmm. A little drone that's about the size of a missile. A radio-controlled missile, basically. Hmm. Got a warhead on the tip and everything. Hmm. They said there's things called hand grenades that did the same thing, but... Now we got to put it on top of a fifty in the you know fifty thousand dollar doodad. Got to pay more money for it. Was that goes along with my other story here: government cameras in your car. Oh wait, no, the Pentagon's accounting shambles may cost an additional one billion. They said they mm. can't balance their books until twenty twenty. Mm. Well, it's not just going on in the military. Are you finished with that story? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's going on in another institution. This is from the Christian Post. Preachers gone wild, criminals in the pulpit. Uh, it says, lately there have been plenty of news stories about religious leaders involved in crimes. Now, I want to say ahead of time that I support local churches, and I certainly support local churches more than I do big national Christian institutions. Um, but they're only as good as the the morality and integrity of the leadership of the local church. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Satan's going to go after them like anybody else, but... Anyway, it says uh, on October 5th, members of First Sixth Baptist Church in Port Arthur, Texas, voted to remove their pastor after they learned he changed his name to escape his criminal past. According to the Southeast Texas Record, uh, church members distributed a petition to remove Reverend Donald Toussaint because the congregation was unaware that Toussaint was charged with capital murder, kidnapping, and armed robbery in 1982 for his role in the robbery of a convenience store which ended in the death of two people. Also last week, Catholic priest Kevin McAuliffe uh, pleaded guilty to embezzling $650,000 to fund his gambling habit. 
Wow. In Las Vegas. You know, that's probably not, if you got a gambling. Anyway, uh, McAuliffe took money from multiple church accounts during an eight-year period and manipulated church financial records to hide his thefts. This week, the press is reporting more of the same. On October 11th, three significant crime stories were reported involving two pastors and one ex-pastor. CBS News reported that Joshua Drucker, a former youth pastor, was convicted of murdering two former friends in 2004. He just wouldn't listen to the gospel. And, well... Refused to believe. Uh, to make some former friends, too, I guess. The Tennessean, uh, our local newspaper, reported that Pastor Ricky Reed of First Free Methodist Church was caught on camera breaking into one of his parishioners' homes to steal medications. Uh, Jean Harris told the Tennessean that after she confronted the pastor for breaking into her house, church members told her not to report Reed to the police. Oh, wow. Okay. Wouldn't it be weird to see your pastor break into your house looking for meds? You know, um, This fraud is not just an American problem. Jamaican pastor Joan Brown was arrested for smuggling drugs, according to the Jamaica Observer. Uh, Brown was arrested while storing 113 ganja pellets in her stomach. Fraud in the churches existed since the early days of the church. Apostle Paul wrote, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6.10 In January, I mean, this is, concludes interestingly here, in January a report of the International Bulletin of Missionaries estimates that Christian religious leaders would embezzle $34 billion in 2011. Tragically, that's more money than will be spent on world missions this year. Hmm. $34 billion embezzled by Christian religious leaders in one year. It gives a whole new spin on the idea that we're a Christian nation. Oh, yeah. Well, if it was, that means there'd be a lot of stealing going on, you know. Yeah. Um, but yet we're so much better than other people, you know. We American exceptionalism. Worry about those other folk, you know. Yes. Okay, you got a story there, buddy. I do, I do. Do do. Oh, let's see. Oh, here it is. I had mentioned it earlier. Pentagon's accounting shambles may cost an additional one billion. This is from iWatch, the Center for Public Integrity. Um. Got a nifty picture of Leon Panetta mm-hmm. there looking like he forgot where he was. Um, the DOD, here's the subtitle I love. Okay. That's really what sort of sold me yeah. on this one. DOD has pledged to clean its books by 2017, but Panetta wants deadline moved up three years. <laughs> Away. Yeah. Okay, what's anything further to add on that story? Yeah. The Pentagon, I mean, that's the basic gist, but I'll read it. The Pentagon, which previously warned that reliable military spending figures could not be produced until 2017, has discovered that financial ledgers are in worse shape than expected, and it may need to spend a billion dollars more to make DOD's financial accounting credible, according to defense officials and congressional sources. Experts say the Pentagon's accounting has never been reliable. A lengthy effort by the military services to implement new financial systems at a cost so far of more than $6 billion has itself been plagued by overruns and delays. Are you Excuse boring me. yourself over there? 
I'm just tired. I wake up early. Yeah. Senior defense officials say. The Government Accountability Office said in a report last month that although the services can now fully track incoming appropriations, they still cannot demonstrate their funds are being spent as they should. The issue of poor bookkeeping has taken on particular political salience as lawmakers more closely scrutinize the $671 billion annual military budget for waste, fraud, and abuse amid soaring federal deficits. Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta, responding in part to bipartisan pressures, announced Tuesday that DOD does not intend to wait six more years, as agreed in 2009 to place a long-awaited accounting reforms that advocates say will increase efficiencies and reduce mismanagement. Uh, the ability to audit our books ought to be something we do on a faster track, and we will, Panetta said in a speech at the Woodrow Wilson Center in Washington. At a House Armed Services Committee hearing Thursday, Panetta announced a new deadline of 2014 for one major financial audit covering the status of the department's funds at the end of the fiscal year. Three other major financial audits covering its assets and liabilities, net costs, and aspects of the financing of operations will not be ready before 2017. Uh, department officials. The, the details of how the new ta- target date is to be met will not be known for another 60 days. Um, yep, and so it goes on and how it's awesome. You, you know, know, I used to work in that wonderful institution, Department of Defense. Uh-huh. It is so completely unwieldy that it's almost completely impossible to be able to keep track of it. But one thing that concerns me is I remember... It seems like just a few days before 911, the big story was what happened to $1 trillion that is missing and accounted for $1 trillion mm-hmm. in the Department of Defense. And they were putting Rumsfeld on the hot seat. And that led, that was the main story leading right up into the day of 911. Huh. Yeah, I believe it. And surprisingly, that got moved off the shelf of concern. Sure. Probably that big hole in the side of the Pentagon probably had something to do with you know, distracting things, but you know, they could move them one trillion dollars in and out of it without yeah, being seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's yeah. craziness, isn't it? Um, I have a little bit more information. Well, it's a good bit uh, on the assassination plot, the Iranian. Can I share a little bit more of that, or is please that okay? do, please do. You sure? If it yeah. gets boring, tell me because. I'll talk about no, I mean, I'm just really, I'm really tired. For our listeners who don't don't know, I'm working a job. I got to get up at like 4:30 in the morning. Yeah. So I'm sorry, bro. It happens. Well, but I'm, actually, I'm pretty boring. It to me. probably doesn't help either. So sorry for me being boring. Okay, um, this was some additional research by Pojols of Watson at Infowars. Assassination mm-hmm. plot was pushed by DEA informant. Uh, it says details emerging from the dubious Iranian terror plot strongly suggest that the plan to assassinate a Saudi ambassador was concocted not by Mansour or Babsiar, who thought he was overseeing a drug deal, but by the DEA informant working on behalf of the federal government. The legal document describing evidence in the case provides multiple indications that it was mainly the result of an FBI sting operation, reports Asia Times' Gareth Porter. The document confirms that the assassination plan was originated with and was strongly pushed by an undercover DEA, Department of Drug Enforcement, informant at the direction of the FBI. 
geopolitical experts have almost universally questioned why the highly professional Iranian Quds fo- uh, force would require a washed-up used car salesman who had a drinking problem and a propensity for hookers to be the mastermind behind such a sophisticated operation, and why that operation would take place in the United States when it would be far easier to carry out the assassination in the Middle East. It now appears that uh, Iranian-American patsy Mansour Arbavsiar thought he was merely involved in a drug deal to sell large amounts of opium from Afghanistan and that the terrorist angle was introduced by, quote, CS1, Whoa. the DEA informant working on behalf of the FBI. On May 21st, 24th, when Ab Arbabsiar first met with the DEA informant, he thought was part of a Mexican drug cartel. It was not to hire a hit squad to kill the ambassador. Rather, there's reason to believe that the main purpose was to arrange a deal to sell large amounts of opium from Afghanistan, writes Porter. The legal document fails to list any single example directly attributable to Arbabsiar where he mentions killing the Saudi ambassador. Both the language and the absence of any statement attributed to Arbabsiar imply that the Iranian-American said nothing about assassinating the Saudi ambassador except in response to suggestions by the informant, who was already part of the FBI undercover operation, adds Porter. So again, this shows absolutely nothing from these different from these other sting operations. Indeed, the record shows that it is the informant who can constantly refers to the assassination. When our CR wired $100,000 to an account in New York in August, he did so under the impression that the money would be used in connection with the drug deal, the legal document shows. The DEA informant himself was under pressure to pull off the sting because he had already been charged with a narcotics offense and was posing as a drug cartel operative in return for the charges against him being dropped. It appears as though the entire plot was, similar to a myriad of previous terror cases, a case of entrapment, where the FBI deliberately chooses an individual down on his luck and promises him money and importance, radicalizing him in the process and convincing him to commit criminal activities. Even so, there is no specific example where our our, our Arab CR directly advocates killing the Saudi ambassador. As we reported yesterday, an FBI insider who spoke with retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer told Schaefer that no details of a terror plot existed within the Department of Justice files, indicating that the story was largely fabricated by the Obama administration as a pretext to give Israel the green light to attack Iran's nuclear facilities, which many geopolitical observers are warning is only weeks away. Man. And there's a, and that's, to me, that's pretty big news. And, that's and. pretty strong. They're doing a, uh, that was Asia Times. They're doing major, major joint operations, U.S. and Israel right now over there were. Yeah, our major landing plates. It came across my ticker that they're doing I, some type of wacky stuff out there in the Gulf. I think that is through Friday. So people have wondered, you know, are they going to try to do something while they're in the neck of the woods there? Hmm. We've wondered that many times in the past. And no yeah, I so. know. It's like. How many times can we say that they're going to nuke Iran? Yeah. 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 Okay, you got something to share with us? I do. Government cameras in your car. Etoll Patton hints at Big Brother's future. Uh, this is from Red Tape at msnbc.msn.com. Another, you know, tiny conspiracy. Mm-hmm. 
boutique website. Hmm. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. Say no more. Yeah. Government cameras in your car. E. Toll Panton hints at Big Brother's future. Imagine that you couldn't drive on major highways without agreeing to put a camera in your car, one that could film either the occupant or the vehicle surroundings and transmit the images back to a central office for inspection. You don't have to read George Orwell to conjure up such ominous surveillance state. You just have to skim through filings at the U.S. Patent Office. It's hard to imagine Americans would tolerate such a direct, big brotherish intrusion. But they might not notice if the all-seeing camera w- cameras were tucked inside another kind of government tracking technology that millions of Americans have already invited into their cars. Cap Traficom AG, an Austrian company, has just signed a 10-year contract to provide in-car transponders such as the Easy Pass to 22 electronic highway toll collection systems around the U.S., recently filed a patent on technology to add multifunction mini-cameras to their toll gadgets. Today, transponders are in about 22 million cars around the U.S. Adding inward and outward-facing cameras to the gadgets would create surveillance cap- capabilities beyond anything government agencies have tried until now. Mm-hmm. The stated reason for an inward-pointing camera is to verify the number of occupants in the car for enforcement of HOV and hotlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The outward-pointing camera could be used for the same purpose, helping authorities enforce minimum occupant rules against drivers who aren't carrying transponders. But it's easy to imagine other uses, you don't say. The patent says the transponders could have the ability to store and transmit pictures, either at random intervals or on command from a central office. It would be tempting to use them as part of a search for a lost child, for example, and law enforcement officials might find the data treasure trove irresistible. You don't say. The gadget could also be instructed to take pictures when the acceleration of a car exceeds a threshold or when accidents occur, so it could be used like an airplane cockpit flight recorder. It's important to note that a patent filing is a far cry from the invention and manufacturing of a new product. Many patent filings are nothing more than a defensive measure taken to protect the farthest reaches of intellectual property. Officials at CAPS declined to be interviewed for this story, but in a statement said that citizens shouldn't read too much into the filing. Uh. This patent filing is part of the standard intellectual property protection process followed by every company that invests in research and development, says Erwin Toplick, chief operating officer of CAPS, in an email. CAPS, for example, files approximately 20 applications a year. This process protects our unique ideas. It does not signify that a commercial product is in development or even being contemplated. Uh, And P.J. Wilkins, executive director for the Easy Pass Group Consortium that manages the massive toll collection cooperative, says he hadn't even heard of camera technology when told about the uh, patent by MSNBC. Uh Well... Maybe I don't fully understand the ramification of what they're doing, but it seems like a lot of that is sort of obsolete, that a lot of that stuff is already available anyway. And uh, because, well, you know, you've been hearing the story about or progressive the commercials, progressive insurance, mm-hmm. where they have, the, I forgot, they give it some kind of neat little name where it's a plug that you put in your computer where it monitors all your driving conditions, everything no. that you do. And they all dance around it, and they make these little cute commercials about how cool it is. Now, I guess it's voluntary, but you can get lower rates 
But basically what it does is, as I understand it, it plugs into your computer on your thing, and it basically gives them hard data on how you really drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we already know rental cars have this stuff, so they can find out if you were speeding, if you took it out of the state or whatever. Those are already on cars now. And, in fact, when I used to do crash investigations with cars, you know, legal expert witness stuff, mm-hmm. um, even this is many years ago, it became – there were several guys in the industry who became leaders in being able to download data from the computer on your car to put in court case to show when you braked, how fast you were going at the time, all wow. this other kind of stuff. They could They could download it from your computer after a crash. Basically, it was a black box, hmm. and and be able to say uh, what you were doing after that time. I've got a friend of mine, a couple of stories. I've got a friend of mine who uh, he knew all this stuff was going on and that uh, somehow his company was accessing that information, mm-hmm. and he got annoyed with him, and uh, he was an electronic engineer. Yeah. He, took it all, he took it apart and disabled the black box in his car. Uh, well, actually, he figured out how mm-hmm. it worked and set it so that it was always parked at his house, <laughs> which was even better. Um, That's great. So, so yeah, so so there was that. Another friend of mine. This is probably the most far out story. You know, yeah. in, in hearing about some of this black box stuff, he says part of it is is there's a clandestine kill switch in cars that have uh, BDI two, which is a um, you know, some system, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, like a ant, you know, anti, anti smog or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he said that uh, after the BDI two was implemented, it had a kill switch, so they could just hit it with a speci- very specific type of radio wave, and it would tr- signal your car to stop. Yeah. And I asked him how he knows that. He said because I was driving down the road. And after visiting this dude up in Michigan, yeah. and this black hop helicopter flew over the, my car, stopped, and hovered about, you know, five, six hundred yards yeah. away from me, and then my car stopped. And uh, I got out. Why would he do that? I don't know. I, why I, would he want to stop him? I don't know. I don't know why. But then they hovered, then they came up closer and waved at me, and then... I jumped back in the car, tried to start it, and this time it started, and then they then they left. And I said, okay. Hmm. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I don't know either. Well, you know, um, we just had these stories the last few weeks about OnStar mm-hmm. and about how, um, you know, here they were, you thought your system was off. You know, you turn up, and they're still collecting data on you, even though you think it's deactivated. Mm-hmm. Now they say, oh, we heard from the public, and we're not going to support that now. Hmm. But how can you know? You know yeah. How can you know to believe them? Yeah, well, the Chaos Computer Club just proved that the state of Germany. Chaos Computer Club. Yeah, it's a German computer club. They just proved that the state in Germany uh, has the ability to to monitor their their citizens at at at, at whim. Mm-hmm. From their, from their, you know, what their online browsing yeah. habits are yeah. and stuff. Well, in our family, we just had someone make the next step up with the rest of humanity and an internet-based phone, you know. Oh, really? And uh, 
Uh, I just worry about this trend. You know, we keep telling us the kind of things, and I know there's some practical benefits, but well, the new uh, the new iPhones, man, the new iPhones, uh, they've got this. They've it's a personal personal digital assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the PDA, but the whole thing is is now is it's actually got a computer program that was developed originally by DARPA, mm-hmm. where you can you can talk to it and you can say, uh, I would like I would like a listing of all four star hotels in San Francisco that have a bathroom or that have a uh, uh, that have a workout room and a pool for tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Ordered by ordered by price, and it'll think a second. Go ding! I have mm-hmm. 16 hotels ordered by price, just as you said. Mm-hmm. I, and I saw that. I yeah. well, I heard that yeah. today on the radio. Somebody demonstrating. I was like, Yeah, that's pretty freaky. Yeah. Well, um, she was just showing me. She just got the phone and showing that um, with the camera, you can take a picture. You know, it's like those little squiggly things that look like barcodes, but they're uh-huh. sort of jumbled yeah. little things. Mm-hmm. Taking pictures of that and then immediately had in the phone, like if you products you bought in the store had all the details of the background of it. Mm-hmm. It was basically a barcode scanner. Yeah, you know what's interesting on those. And everybody else is saying, "Duh, I've had this forever on yeah. here," but uh, still amazes me. Yeah, what's interesting is that they have a program. I have it. I have it on my phone actually, or uh, do I? I can't remember. If I do, I don't use yeah. it very much. But you scan the barcode on something. Not only does it give you what the item is, it gives you the lowest price around town. Huh. Wow, interesting. Yep. Well, would you like to have another story here? Yeah, give us one more. Okay, this is uh, from uh, it's about Kurt Haskell, a guy I think would be interesting oh, on our yeah. show. Uh-huh. Kurt Nemo wrote about this in Infowars. Kurt Haskell says he will sue feds an underwear bomber case. Appearing on the Alex Jones Show today, uh, Michigan Attorney Kurt Haskell said he plans to file a civil lawsuit against the government in the underwear bomber case uh, now that Umar Farouk Abdul Mutalab has suddenly reversed course and decided to plead guilty. That's what enough waterboarding will do for you, I guess. But, uh, Abdul Mutalab's reversal now means that Detroit Attorney Kurt Haskell's contention that the plot was, as in almost every other terror case made public, a product of government entrapment, and that the U.S. intelligence establishment was involved in the aborted attack, will now remain buried. See, they probably offered this guy a great deal not mm. to go to trial yeah. so they could handle Haskell. This is at least for the time being. Uh, Paul Joseph Watson wrote earlier today as news of the reversal was reported. Abdul Mutalab entered a plea of not guilty eight months ago at the start of his trial on charges he attempted to use a weapon of mass destruction, conspired to commit an act of terrorism, attempted murder. The corporate media immediately attempted to cover the government's effort to shut down the case and prevent Haskell from testifying by claiming Abdul Mutalab had changed course in order to have the opportunity to read a six-minute speech to the courtroom in which he said that his crimes had been a payback for U.S. military killings of people in Afghanistan, Iraq, and elsewhere. Kurt Haskell said the lawsuit will allow him to subpoena witnesses and ask questions. He told Alex Jones he is primarily interested in getting some more truth out of the case now that the government has moved to shut down the release of further information, in particular the identity of the well-dressed Indian man who escorted Abdumudlab to the flight in Amsterdam on Christmas Day, 2009. Alex noted that it is now government policy to murder suspects like the underwear bomber's alleged handler, 
and Pentagon dinner guest, Anwar, uh, Anwar Alaki, instead of bringing them to trial. Well, that's certainly true. I mean, that's what they're using predator drones. They don't have trials anymore. Mm-hmm. Because of this and the government's habitual lies and deception, lawsuits like the one Kurt Haskell will file against the government are of particular importance, Jones explained. And we need to pray for Kurt Haskell because he was just a regular everyday citizen that wouldn't sit down and shut up when he noticed that what was being reported in the media and the government was not what he personally witnessed on it's that wild, flight. wild, isn't it? And they figured he would finally just, you know, they discredited him enough he would shut up, but he won't. And I don't know where his situation is with God or whatever like that, but to me it's a virtue to seek truth, and we should uh, mm-hmm. encourage him in that. And he's he's risking a lot to do that, so. Yeah. Anyway, any uh, anything else you want to share, bro? No, man. You want to move to some emails? Get some emails? Okay. Yeah. Well, we're a little early in the show, so we could go on and get to the emails and call it an early night tonight. Uh, by the way, one, sh- one story I didn't read from last week I was going to do as a backup here. Secret panel can put Americans on kill list. I guess you knew that there was an official panel that does that with American citizens. Yeah, I think we reviewed that last week. Okay, did we? I didn't think we talked about that. There was a couple stories I had on it, but I just. But basically, it's like everything else. When you get to who those people are, that's secret. Yeah. So you can't find out. You don't know how you get on the list, but there's a panel and the president is not on it. There was no accountability. He just disapproves. No accountability. I ran into that when I worked for the Air Force right before I moved to Tennessee. We we had sensitivity training. And they talked about all these kind of groups that you could not be a member of and be a federal employee, like certain pro-life groups or certain kind of thing, Greenpeace or whatever. You weren't allowed to be part of it and be a government employee. And I said, how do they decide whether you and, – and basically what happened was they just come down and lower the boom on you if they found out. And I says, well, how can you find out ahead of time before you join a group if it's okay to be part of it? And they said, well, we don't have any way to do that, but we'll let you know later. You know, I mean, we'll, you know, the pretty severe repercussions if you do. And I says, well, who are these people that make these decisions? They said, well, we're not allowed to tell you. And I said, well, who, who, who are they accountable to, the people who make these decisions? And they said, well, we can't tell you that either. And this is when All I worked right. in the government. So basically they could, if they didn't like you, they could say, Tom Bionic, You've been a faithful employee all these years, but there's something you were doing right now that we don't like. So we just basically said you were part of a bad group, and we're getting rid of you, and there's really no recourse. You know, nobody yeah. accountable. Only lots of questions. Okay, emails. Huh. I'm reading on Kurt Haskell's blog here. I just pulled it up. Yeah. Him, him, both him and his wife are attorneys, and uh, it turns out that the, the prosecution filed a pretrial motion. Uh, that listed listed Kurt Haskell and his wife by name, asking that they not be allowed to sit in on the trial, as we may be witnesses for the defense. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, Judge Edmonds excluded court, Kurt from the cur- courtroom, but said she was not excluding me since I was not on the witness list. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let me jump into some emails here. We got one from uh, a man of a million names. Uh, uh, I often see the name Frank associated with him. I've seen many others. Um, uh, he likes to maintain a pseudonym here, Frank but he's discussion. one of our one of our yes, one of our uh, favorite listeners here. He says, uh, "Doc and Tom, 
Kaiju Patrol Bionic. Uh, Kaiju Patrol would be, uh, you know, for... Monsters? Yeah, Japanese monsters. Uh, If any of this is a repeat, I apologize. Next time won't be. I do have some new material, though. After sending you, like, 100 pre-Ventura emails, I now send you my official post-Ventura email. I think he's talking about the Jesse Ventura talk. (laughs) He says, let me tell you... This was a great show. I only wish it had been longer. Yeah, we did too, if we could have kept it longer. Mm-hmm. I agree with him a lot politically, but obviously not religiously, uh, like the homosexuality issue. On one hand, his point of gay marriage makes sense. Yeah, I can't wholly endorse his views on it. I'm really on the fence about some of his points. That's okay. But at least he's trying to be fair to everyone, which is more than most politicians aspire to. And I agree, and I think that should be one of the priorities of politicians is fairness. Because we all have our own opinions on, on certain moral issues and things. So, as a servant of all the people, you should just be fair, you know. Um, he says, speaking of the gay... Huh? You'd think. Yeah. He says, speaking of the gay issue, man, are so many Christians lost on this issue, which is I'm glad you and Tom took the stance you did with those couple of articles. It seems to me that many Christians consider it the unforgivable sin. Like you say, God does consider homosexuality a sin. But he feels the same way about adultery, lying, and using dishonest weights, etc. You know, I've got a friend of mine. I think I might have mentioned this, but I've got a friend of mine who ministers a lot to the homosexual community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he goes to these gay pride rallies and stuff. And inevitably the question comes up, so you're telling me that God is going to send me to hell from from being mm-hmm. gay? And he says, no, God is going to send you to hell for not believing a son Jesus died and rose again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he mm-hmm. says, it always really... Blows them away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because they think that's all we obsess over because that's what our Christian Cause, leaders Because that's all they pretty talk much about. what we all obsess over. That's all they talk yeah, about. Yeah, all they talk about. Um, he says, we're not going to win them over to Christ by saying God hates gays. That's right. It does not accomplish the Great Commission by doing that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Lastly, I enjoyed the show with Emmett. Your long interactive article was good and your sarcasm on that piece was great. That major general really had some odd opinions. The rest of the show was great. Y'all were in rare form. The right amounts of sarcasm and love. Emmett was good, too, and I really would like to hear him more, too. His devil's advocate stance, whether he supported that particular view or not, was a breath of fresh air. Not to say the future quake has gone stale. If Emmett can't make it, I'd like to see other guest hosts with you and Tom, maybe once a month or so. Options could be Chris White or Pinto, since they're in your area. Uh, oh, before I forget, your Brandon House show was also good. Uh, I heard the fan mail about him, and they discovered him on Understanding the Times, a uh, show I catch on occasion. Her show is good, but I disagree with your stance on things here and there. So that's that's my brother there. And this is um, Vinny, Vinny or Vincent, uh, another, hey, occasional, about it. another occasional emailer, a uh, good friend of ours, Futurian. Mm-hmm. He just has a couple brief words. He says... Uh, was just listening to your show with guest Emmett. It's 33 minutes, 57 seconds into the show, and you just read the comments from that man talking about being patriotic. From what he stated, and then the analogies the three you offered, I have one more. By his standards, the man that opened fire on Fort Hood here in Texas was patriotic. Hmm. Interesting. Being willing to, if I remember right, it goes back a ways about basically being willing to risk your life for your belief was the definition of it, I think. And we were pointing out other people who would fit that definition. A um, couple of them on Jesse Ventura's show. Uh, this is um, 
This is Jimmy in uh, North Carolina. He says, Dear Doctor, I know about burning stuff, future, and Tom, ever-changing middle name, Bionic. I don't know about nothing, Bionic. (laughs) No, that's not true. Long-time listener, first-time writer. I want to commend you on the Jesse Ventura interview and post-interview comments. I would like to add a comment. People still refer to individuals on radio and TV interviews as guest and host. Many, excluding you, seem to have forgotten that. They interrupt, talk over, and argue with guests. And if that is the way they treat guests, I would hate to see how they treat enemies. I thought when an interview was scheduled, it was to find out what the guest knows, thinks, and believes. Thank you for possessing and using good manners on your show. Uh, and I would like to say that, that I have to confess, and even other people point out to me, that sometimes I do rattle on, even in interviews, and I go mm-hmm. off on my own thinking instead of it. And probably a lot of that I shouldn't do, but a little bit of the prerogative of having your own show. If you go to the effort of producing it, you can sort of give your own two cents. Yeah. And part of the reason... You don't like it, go get your own show. Well, yeah, I don't you know, be that severe, but sort of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, what happens is, is that I'll hear about a guest or something, and what they're doing clicks something in my head related to what our thinking has been collectively on the show. Mm-hmm. Sort of puts a little direction or another facet of our show. And so often when I'll, and I think you do the same thing too, make comments on stuff that's usually to sort of put in the context of our line of thinking we've been pursuing on Future Quake and understanding. So, And that's partially, too, why we have a long show. Um, we Our interviews normally tend to be a lot longer, and that gives us an opportunity to work our two cents into the uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you for the compliment, Brother Jimmy. It says, I checked the World Relief website and couldn't find anything about the refugee deal. I believe that was with... Uh, um, our our brother from church who came on the show. Um, do you remember that? Where he, he came on talking about with the, uh, was it Ghana? Uh, Bhutan, the Bhutanese. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, of course. Uh, what, what was, uh, do you remember the the website? I, I thought we had it linked there. I don't remember. Okay. Um, uh, worldrelief.org. We will check that. I think uh, Brother Josh Kelly was on. Uh, we'll see if we can mm-hmm. find any more information on that. Uh, it says he would like to hear Dave Mustaine of Megadeth interviewed. I we, know we talked about that, didn't we, at one point? Yeah, I, I know he professes Christ and has some great scripture, New World Order songs. Um, yeah, that's something I'll look into. I don't, I don't, what do you think about that? I'm cool with it, man. Um, probably a lot of the heavy metal gods really are probably familiar with us. He's, you They'd know, it's interesting. He's even he's even expressed to be not not just you know. A Christian and all that stuff, and a New World Order sort of fighter, mm-hmm. but he's also pre-millennial and a pre-trib person, and hmm. can't remember else. But I remember listening to him talk for like ten minutes, and I could pick up, ah. picked up his theology pretty quick. He's pretty upfront about it. Well, we'll see if we can get him on yeah. here. You know, we can get Joe Bob Briggs. We certainly get him. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Dave Mustaine's pretty big in that crowd. We'll see what we can do. Try to pull that one off. Pretty darn good guitar player, man. If I drop your name, would that help get some things happening? No. Okay. Uh, he closes saying, thanks for everything. Keep the faith and the sense of humor. Uh, P.S. You can use my comments on air, although I don't know why any sane per- person would want to. Yeah. If they listen to us, you got a pretty good shot at it. Yeah. Okay. This is... We've got two more, and then that's it. Okay. We've got um, Sister Mary. Uh, Sister Mary emails here. 
Yeah, subject's a great show. Always like it when it says that. Or you all are awesome. That's another one I like in the title. Uh, this is a great show. Hello, uh, Mike and Tom. I truly enjoy your show and am praying that the Lord blesses you both with many more delightful hours of testimony and current news events to share with your loyal listening audience. Your show has truly blessed my family and myself. I invite everyone I see to listen to your current show and to all your archives. Great. We need more people doing that. To tell other people to listen, okay? Yeah. That's the only way we're going to grow is if all of you all out there just try to get at least a few people, each of you, to listen to the show. And we would really appreciate that. He says, the archives are especially important to those who have just recently been awakened from the lies preached in some non-biblical churches. Thanks for your shows on dominionism and how some preachers can seduce away a congregation from Christ to follow signs and wonders. This is not biblical. You are doing an enormous amount of good for the Church of Jesus Christ and the families that look forward to your amazing insights and leadership. I wish I could attend church with you sometime, but I live far away. Well, a lot of people come from far away to our church, so. Yeah, man, uh, come on down. Even if you have to, like, bend time and space, you know, a wormhole, it's worth if you the get, trip. Well, you know, they even have the, the little, like, the visitor or new new guest thing, little packet. They have a free free breakfast yeah, yeah, it's worth a free breakfast ticket, yeah. and you can order, and we get bacon and eggs and fancy pancakes, and sometimes Tom Bionic's fixing it in the kitchen, right? Yep. I see you back wraps. there with that little hairnet on when you're wearing no. Okay, you don't wear one of those? No. Okay, well, sort of thumb through your food then, if just check it before yep. you eat it. Might be a little brill cream in there. Um, nevertheless, the Dad Spirit of God... in a can. Yes. The the Spirit of God can keep us all close. Well, that's certainly true, sister. Yeah. Love in Christ, Mary. And you may share this email with anyone you like. Thank you. Okay, and here's our last email for today. Uh, and by the way, this gets us up into early August, so we're only just over two months, two and a half months behind in our email. Mm-hmm. So that's, believe it or not, actually progress for us. Yeah. Um, this... this oh, Actually, this is from another one from reading earlier today, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, this is from uh, from Frank, Brother Frank, and he emailed earlier. Uh, he says, hey, uh, Doc and Tom, just dropping a line to say I enjoyed the Joe Bob Briggs episode. I enjoyed listening to him talk, and also had some reservations about him, but none of us are perfect. Nonetheless, it was very interesting. You know, that's that's the attitude to have. Mm-hmm. We certainly aren't perfect. Well, you are perfect, but yeah. I'm not, and I uh, really appreciate people understanding about our guests that way it's funny says i've been praying for a way to use my writing artistic abilities for god's kingdom beyond the blog i do and the wittenberg door seems to be a possibility we'll see what the lord says so uh if you contact him let us know if wittenberg door picks back up well, that'd be great frank and that's that's all i got for the time being that's all she wrote. All right, from I know we're a little, we've been pretty long-winded the last few weeks. I'll give people a break. Let me before I get. Let me just say, next week we're going to have a great guest. We're going to have a great guest on a very future quickish topic. It's one of these theological things that'll make you wring your hands and look at things a new way. And I'm still doing a crash course reading on it, so I'm still still working on it. But it'll be here soon. And and uh, yep, he's doing hand signals. I'm glad the camera's not on. You are you are correct. Yeah. You spelt his name. Um, but until then, we need to as Merv come in and tell all you all how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com 
suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's all I know. Other than a lot of you people who listen to uh, iTunes or, or get this as a podcast, go to futurequake.com. There's a lot of stuff even on the front of the website to download. Our prayer that we did for the National Religious Broadcasters people is there. I'd like for you all to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, my talk at the uh, United Nations, there you can get the slides. You can hear the audio of it. When I spoke to the United Nations group uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, some books we have for offer. Uh, and then there's pictures. If you want to see weird pictures of us and Radio Free Nashville when we were there and our WNO days and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. Um, any last words you want to share with our listeners? No. Nope. I know you're pooped. I'm tired, man. Yeah, this is what the show does to you. You know, if same thing happens to the listeners, if that makes you feel better. At least it's not as bad as Emmett when he would be snoring literally on the microphone. I c- I've come the close. Show. In the past, there was one show in particular I could point it out where I'm pretty sure I was asleep for yeah, about you, 20 minutes. You went into REM during it? Yeah. Yeah. I just I couldn't I couldn't yeah. take it. Yeah, well I must I, be. I, don't, I didn't snore. I must be gifted in my uh, ability to keep people spellbound. Man, it's just waking up at four thirty in the morning. Yeah, I know, I know. You know what? I'm glad you're here. And I know everybody too. appreciates you being here, bro. I don't know about everybody, but fifty-one percent do. Fifty-one do, and that's right. That's better than Obama right now. He'd take yeah. that if he could get it. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go. Come back next week for our thrilling interview next week. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.